Before we start this episode of Dr Whodcast, we'd like to draw your attention to BLAM UK, a charity which promotes a truthful discourse of blackness through analysis of history by providing more diverse education for young people. Right now, you can donate to help BLAM organise free lessons on black history for children. And if you are a white fan of Doctor Who and want to continue to learn, educate and be more actively anti-racist, I'd like to recommend the podcast Woke Doctor Who, who have done several episodes on how race in both the fandom and the show has been portrayed. I'd especially recommend the episode Martha My Dear, which goes a long way to explain the toxic institutionalised racism that we as Doctor Who fans need to reject in ourselves and in our community to create a better world. The unquiet dead. 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 This has gone terribly, but I don't want to start again. No, that's this is the this is the take. This is the take. This is the bit. This is the show. This. Oh dear. Everything else is superfluous. Exactly. Um, do people know where that's from? Like, they must do. Well, well, if they don't, I don't care. I don't care. I love it. No? Charlie XCX? Did you, did you write that? <laughs> did I write at the Adams Family or Charlie XCX? Either one. No. No, I didn't. Either. No. Have you ever done anything with your life? This podcast. Is this your greatest achievement? Oh, no. Drank Dungeons and Dragons last night, I became um, the embodiment of the dragon. That's a pretty big achievement. That's a pretty big deal. I had to roll a 20 for that. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm enjoying this, but in terms of my greatest achievements, this isn't even in, like, the top 10. Well, that's nice to know. That's That's nice to... That's nice to know. Your presence in my life is totally incidental. <laughs> Will come back. Come back. <laughs> come back. Okay. Welcome to Deep Throat Nine, the oh. next gener- the next penetration. Ah, oh, baby, now that's a title. Um, in all seriousness, welcome back to the Doctor Whoodcast. Doctor Whoodcast. Yeah, with a question mark at the end. The Doctor Whoodcast. Accompanied with a shrug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We need to, the instance between sarcasm and performance. That's what that's. The I think that's just our lives. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. One part sarcasm, one part performance. Yeah, baby. That's exactly how I roll. Uh, I'm Charlie Harris. I'm Will Paxton, and this week we will be reviewing uh, episode three of season one of Doctor Who: The Unquiet Dead. Spooky. So this episode was written by Mark Gatiss, and. You may well know him from other things. Yeah, he's been quite a lot, hasn't he? He's having a real moment. 
He is. He's done very well for himself. He's in uh, Sherlock. He's also the writer of Sherlock. He's, so it's not. It's not. Um, Sherlock's not still on. Um. Well, according to Stephen Moffat, it is, but it's not. What did he realise? He wasn't getting picked up for other stuff. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like Stephen Moffat has had a bit of a lull in writing since um, the end of Doctor Who. You say that, but he did Dracula. That's very true. That's and very, Mark Gatiss was in Dracula. that. I I liked that first episode of Dracula that I watched. Um, did you see any other ones? No, because I fell asleep. <laughs> 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 I liked it what? so much. I was watching it incredibly drunk at three o'clock in the morning. Okay, so how do you know that you liked it? Well, I remember feeling like I liked it immediately before I went to sleep. And I was like, this would be good if I had any attention span. Um, but I haven't Wait. gone back to it. It's just an hour and a half. Like, I can't really deal with an hour and a half long. Wait, the whole episode is an hour and a half? Yeah, it's That's long. That's like Sherlock It's very, length. very long. Yeah, it's exactly. It's, 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 I think it's three episodes similar to Sherlock as well. No, that's um, the same as Sherlock. Yes, exactly the same as Sherlock. Um, well, Mark Gatiss was also in, um, had a small role in Good Omens. Oh, I've never seen it. Is, uh, is he good? I mean, Does he, he play um, like a broker between souls? Because that's very Mark Gatiss. Uh, no, it, it was a small, it was a really small role. It was basically a cameo. Where oh, okay. he and Steve Pemberton played German spies in a flashback. He is also in Game of Thrones, isn't he? Yes, he is. As uh, the head of the Bravosi Bank, or the, the the face of the Bravosi Bank, more the Iron more. Bank of Bravos. Um, yes, he, his character does have a name, but I have forgotten it. Yeah, I have no idea. I keep on thinking it's Davos, but it's just not Davos. No, are you thinking about the place Davos in Switzerland? <laughs> I'm thinking about the fact that Davos is Davos comes up in Doctor Who. It comes up in Game of Thrones. I think there's another Davos, and I've seen in TV. That's what's Davos it's... in Doctor Who? Are you think uh, of Davros? No, I'm not thinking of Davros. I knew you were about to say that. There is a Davos in some episodes. I cannot remember. I might have to confirm it in our next episode. But anyway, let's move so, on. Um, this episode is The Unquiet Dead, written by Mark Gatiss, starring. Billy Piper and Christopher Eccleston. Yes, um, it's Mark Gaitis. Mark Gaitis. It's Mark Gaitis. Uh, sorry, do you need Mark a moment, Ga- love? Yeah, sorry, Mark Gaitis. Um, do you want a chamomile tea? <laughs> I hate chamomile tea. I find it taste of nothing. Yeah, I'm a coffee drinker. I'm not a tea drinker that much. I don't know if I've ever had chamomile tea. You've never had it. I think I probably have at some point, but it, it. I don't think it made enough of an impression that I a had it again or remembered how much I disliked it. I must have. I must have had it. I must have it's had a, it. Right. It's a very nothing each nothingy tea. We're going to get so many complaints about offending chamomile tea this episode. No, because we'd need listeners for that. <laughs> um, so going back to Mark Gattis, uh, he. This is the first Doctor Who script he ever wrote, and it's also the first Doctor Who script not by Russell T. Davis, of this season. Yeah, but before this season, there were lots that weren't by Russell T. Davis. Oh, yeah, obviously. but Because he wasn't a writer yet. But he, but considering Russell T. Davis wrote eight episodes out of a 12-episode season, I believe? 13. 13-episode um, season, seasons. Uh, it's it's an interesting new addition. Do you feel like it feels different in script to the first two episodes? Um... 
Not really. Okay. I don't know. If I watched it and then someone said, this is a Russ T. Davis episode, there is nothing in it that suggests otherwise. I would disagree with that in that I think okay. that there is a difference in writing and it's not big. I think you're right in the most part of this, but I think there is a difference in writing of Eccleston and Billy Piper, so, um, Rose and the Doctor. The big difference is they're not the folk. They're not the focus of the episode. Yes, that's true. But even in the even in the scenes like when the Doctor and Rose are in the TARDIS the first time, it feels a bit. It feels like the relationships, like at that point at the beginning of the episode, is like pushed on the audience and then not developed again. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes that makes sense. And I feel like in Rusty Davis one, it was much more the focus, and it's not. It's the focus is taken away here. But the difference is that you still have that scene at the beginning of like. But do you think the relationship? relationship, But do you think the relationship has changed a great deal for this episode? I don't think it's changed. I think it's sped up too quickly. That's my thing. I think that the Doctor and Rose, as the portrayed in this episode, are a bit too. uh, What's the word? Familiar. Familiar, yeah. I think that it seems that they, it seems that unlike the first two episodes where they've just met, this episode could have come later in the season and I would have believed the relationship more. Um, like the, the scene where Eccleston says, you look beautiful considering, like for me, that scene would have, should have come at between Long Game and Father's Day of some description. Yeah, I, I think there's pro- you're probably a bit right about that. Another thing that I noticed when I was watching it is that she's wearing the same outfit that she wore in Rose and in The End of the World, which means that unless she has no real sense of personal hygiene, I'm talking about the beginning of the episode. Yes. The End of the World, the events of that will have taken place over a couple of hours. Yes. So the question is... So she's only really been travelling real time in the TARDIS for about a day. Yeah. Well, that's exactly why I have the problem with it, is that it's so quick... Like, it is so quick comparatively. So if you think about it, Rose, Rose's day with the Doctor was... She went to visit that man um, in the first episode. She had the whole thing in the base. She then goes off the Doctor and has the events of End of the World. So this all takes place between the events of sort of midday to the to the to mid-afternoon. Well, hang on. The events of End of the World, there's a timer on that. It It is 45 minutes. It is as long as the episode. Yes. So really this is this is the, the second the hour, day. this is I wouldn't say it's the second day. I think it's the day I think it's still day 1. No, cuz she went off with the doctor in the she went off with the doctor in the evening. That's true. But then if she went off with the doctor in the evening and then it immediately takes place after that, that's 45 minutes later. True. So it could either be the beginning of day 2 in the uh, the twilight hours earth time or the the or depending if the evening was earlier around about 10 o'clock this is so easter eggy <laughs> we are going so deep so quickly well, well it's 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 fine it's fine but the point the point you're trying to make is they haven't actually been spending that much time together but there's already a, that's exactly it yeah it seems like after a day's essentially a day if not half a day of getting to know each other the lines like you you look beautiful or rose saying better with two and sort of like giggly smiling at the doctor just feels a bit 
And it's only in those instances, it's only really at the beginning of the episode that I have a, I have a problem with it. Yeah. But it just does feel a bit forced. Um, but it, it is weird that it's just the year 5 billion in the morning and then 1869 in the evening. Well, that's the life of the Doctor. <laughs> Crazy, True. right? True. But why don't you quickly give a rundown of what happens in this episode? Oh my god, we're starting to become. This is starting to become a thing of my uh, quick take reactions. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but try to keep it to like a minute. Oh, okay. Um, okay, okay. I'm going to try that. Okay, Doctor and Rose land in Cardiff in nineteen in 1860. Uh, they think they're in in 1869. They think they're in a- Naples in 1860. Uh, they arrive on Christmas Eve. Uh, there is a plot where Mister Sneed. Um, who is a undertaker has his corpses in his morgue waking up uh, one of his corpses visits visits Charles Dickens who is at the end of his life and is doing a tour of all of his best bits and is very sad about sad about his life and about um, is there anything more to life than what's already happened um, the doctor meets him in the audience as this as this um, the dead person in the audience causes quite a fracas so to speak um <laughs> Uh, the Doctor leaves leaves in Charles Dickens' coach. They get reacquainted in the wonderful scene. Rose is captured by Mr. Sneed for some unknown reason. Um, is wakes up wakes up in the morgue. The Doctor saves Rose from certain death. Um, classic. Um, then the we find out that Mr. Sneed's assistant Gwyneth has been born on this thing called the Rift, which is a space in um, which is a rift in time and space. Which is bringing a cre- the creatures that are inhabiting the bodies through. They have a seance. It's all very spooky. They find out that the Gelth are a, a race that have been destroyed and are only in spectral form that can inhabit gas um, by um, um, by the Time War and the events of the Time War, which immediately puts the Doctor's he- headlights up and he's like, "No, I must save them because I have PTSD." Um, and then Rose's like, "No, that's inhumane." And the Doctor's like, "It's a new morality. Get used to it." And then they go down to the basement. Turns out the whole time the Gelf are actually just trying to um, win by force. Six billion of them try to come through. Uh, the Doctor and Rose are attacked by some very underwhelming extras. Um, Charles Dickens saves the day after originally running away. Uh, and then Gwyneth um, closes the rift by killing herself and trapping the Gelf in Cardiff at this time. And the Doctor and Rose run away, giving inspiration to Charles Dickens the year before he dies. And not to mention inspiration to Rusty Davis for Torchwood. Yes, exactly. Now that wasn't a minute, but I will say that was no, much quicker than normally done. You're getting better. Oh, by by season two, while I've got these down, I'll be able to do. I'll be able to do it in sixty <laughs> seconds. Easy. Um, I think you need to get better at discerning the important information from the details that you remember. Yeah, I probably should have a list of what happens in the episode of a synopsis instead of trying to remember it from memory. I'm being mean, darling. You're doing very well. Oh, thanks, darling. Okay, <laughs> let's go into this episode. Shall we talk about the Doctor first? I suppose so. I I think the... Oh, you... oh you go first. No, you go no, first. you why go not? first. Oh, fine, I'll oh, go you first. Go first. I'll go, you go first. first. I just did... Yeah, why not? Yeah, I love the Doctor in this episode. I love everything he does with Charles Dickens. I think that the idea that he is so excited, no matter what the situation is, to meet his uncle figure, it's adorable and it's so nerdy 
Yeah, he is best in that coach drive with Charles Dickens. Like, they are just firing off lines to each other. And they both (laughs) just seem to be having the best time and the best amount of fun. Um, I think the other (laughs) highlight I have of Eccleston is the, um, the comment about the different morality in this episode. About how the Gelfs plan, even though the Doctor is wrong in trusting the Gelfs so quickly due to his PTSD so about wrong. the Time War. So wrong. Like, he, he leads to lots of... Well, he leads to, one, he leads to one real death, doesn't he? Which is Mr. Sneed. Um, and who gives a shit? And who gives a shit about that creepy old man? Oh, and, Gw- and, and Gwyneth. Oh, and Gwyneth, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, Gwyneth could have... I feel bad about that. But potentially, I don't know. It, is, was Gwyneth the only way of saving the... say of, of killing the Gelf? No, just... They could have just left it. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. They could have just left it. They could have just left it, and yeah, um, yeah. I think the scene where the scene, I do like the scene where Rose is questioning the morality of this, and she says, "Do you carry a donor card?" And I think that's always very do- important in Doctor Who is bringing parallels to the real world and extending them just by a bit. I think that's really, really cool. I, I'm trying to think about the the uh, another time he does that, and it it, it happens a couple of times. Um, the one I'm trying to think, well, the one I'm thinking about most sincerely is the Kill the Moon episode in Capaldi's era of making. Oh, I thought you were talking about specifically about Eccleston. I think he does. I think Eccleston does this again as well about him we'll using keep, we'll, a real we'll keep life. Keep a lookout for it. Yeah, let's keep a lookout for it. So let's let's. But it, um, yeah, I think he's wonderful. I think my only issue I have with him in this episode is is when he says "shut up" to Charles Dickens. To me, that feels childish. It feels like it's written. Childish. But then he apologizes for. But then he apologizes for it. And that scene is good where he apologizes for it. But those two lines, I feel like, just don't fully. It feels like it was not written for Christopher Eccleston to perform. It was written for a a, a moody doctor to perform in the script outline before they knew it was Eccleston, which was true because Mark Gattis wrote half the script not knowing who the actor was going to play. Really, I didn't know that. Yes, it's a it's a fun little fact from um, Mark Gattis did a little video diary um, that I didn't watch. That you didn't watch, which I, but that me, but I watched it, so it's fine. So I can I can pepper this episode. We can have this conversation. Of, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, so Mark another Gattis thing, had no another idea. Another weird thing. Another weird thing about him saying it's a new morality. Get used to it. It's been a day, like we said. Yeah, it feels like this is another test for Rose in a way. Yeah, but. Giving her two in one day. Yeah, the Doctor really, really in terms of like seeing, I'd say in terms of seeing the universe, the Doctor's intentions of this, of the first like four episodes to what actually happens is weird. Like he, like he goes to see the future and takes her to the end of the end of her own humanity. Yeah. He then takes her to Cardiff in 1860, which he thinks is Naples in 1869, but it's not like a, it's not. No, he thinks it's Naples in eighteen sixty. Yes, you're right. He thinks it's Na- Naples in eighteen sixty. Um, but again, it's not like a. It's not like a Rose's request. It's not like a. Unlike a, a couple of the other companions, it's not like filled with awe and magic. It's very real. It's very like rea- like reality ga- grounded. Whereas I think of Martha's first two, which is like gridlock, which is the 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 end of the into a whole new realm of time. And, and to hold new civilization that they're supposed to look round, and then the Shakespeare Code where they're going to meet Shakespeare. Whereas this, it's like he takes Rose to the end of her own universe, and then takes, and then takes her to a random place in space and time. 
that Rose doesn't know actually have much of a connection to at all. But maybe that's just me being petty. I mean, not being funny, but Gridlock is a very similar place and time to the end of the world. That's true. But it, the, the, I suppose the main difference is that Gridlock is a whole planet. True. The same as New Earth. As opposed to a space, space station. Yeah, New Earth. New Earth is the same. Uh, um, but another, th- another thing I'd say about that is that the one time he does let her decide, she fucks it up so badly. <laughs> oh my God, that's so true. On Father's yeah, Day. I, never, I didn't think about that. Yeah. The one time that he, she decides the episode, it goes terribly wrong and he dies. <laughs> And it's only brought back to life by Pete Tyler. Oh, Pete Tyler, we love you. Pete Tyler, we love you. Come on the podcast! <laughs> Pete Tyler, played by Hayden Christensen, actually. Yes, yes. Not many people know that. Apparently so. Played by Anakin Skywalker. And then he, and then when they had some casting issues later on, he was then played by Mark Benton. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how if this is funny for anyone else. No, probably not. But, you know, I'm enjoying it. Um, sh- so, what do you think of Rose in this episode? She's kind of superfluous to the plot a lot of the episode. Yeah, but she adds a lot of heart to it. Yeah, I think that Ro- where Rose shines in this episode is her chat with Gwyneth and then her realisation about what the girl are trying to do and her very human instinct to say that is wrong. And that that is not how the future will happen. Um, I think. I think in terms. I think the one thing that is about Rose's character that I struggle with this in this episode is that she she is focused more on the Gwyneth storyline, but it's only sort of two thirds way of the way through the episode where Rose is starting to get to the depth of Gwyneth. Whereas with Charles Dickens, the Doctor, the Doctor singularly has that interaction throughout. It, it builds over about three or four or five scenes, the relationship between the Doctor and, and Charles Dickens and their motivations build. Whereas Rose and Gwyneth, it all has to happen in one scene. Um, I'm not sure you're right about that because when she's in front of everyone else, she's very protective of Gwyneth, which I really like and I think that's a really interesting counterpoint to what the doctor does yeah having said that it actually has no bearing on what does happen yes that's true and Um, that goes into the thing about superfluity also it's a second episode in a row she gets knocked out yeah she second episode in a row she gets knocked out and then and then wakes up in a deadly situation yeah that's so true it's exactly the same and they were filmed back to back so they will have known it was exactly the same by the same director like <laughs> is it the same director same director as um episode two yeah oh wow i didn't know that which is weird because it's episode two i think is very well directed um apart from that curtain it's such a weird curtain it's such <laughs> a weird curtain that curtain is gonna be the bane of my fucking life for the rest of the series also, can we just talk about the fact that when surprised mr sneed just had chloroform on him can we also talk about the way that he chloroforms Rose and he sort of waddles up to her like he's like he's about to tap her on the back and instead he yeah he doesn't her. sneak he doesn't sneak over he just literally just like this sort of like club penguin like waffle it's very weird <laughs> you're absolutely right it is he's like a penguin it is like, it's a full penguin he doesn't know how to he walks like the Autons do in the first episode not forwards <laughs> but side to side <laughs> he does a bit he does I mean the directing in this episode particularly. 
the action well I say action in inverted commas because there's no real action <laughs> but mm. whenever anyone dies or gets knocked out or even gets pushed away it just looks so crap it does it, it needs it needs a bit more attention in terms of like if you're not if you're going to do this episode you need like I just feel like the budget of this episode didn't stretch as far as the imagination of this episode yeah I, I mean I mean originally they had so much more I think they were also constrained a lot by time like there was going to be this big um coach crash yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well I like the do you know the, the original thought idea of this episode was even going to be cheaper than this is that um the original Mark Gatiss's original script was set in a hotel a spiritualist hotel you're right yes and so it's very it's it's that would have been a lot less less money to do I suppose yeah, um, but I kind of I kind of love the way they did it here. I think that I think that I think that it it's what as as can't speak. Um I think that I think they missed a trick in terms of what they had on set as a, and what they actually did with it. So, for example, they had filmed like the coach running away and the and and then they had filmed like the outside scene where you can see the whole of the carolers and the Christmas stuff. Why not have when the Gelf escapes at the end out of the door, instead of it going immediately into a gas lamp, why don't you have Charles Dickens stare at all of these Gelf um, attacking all these villagers as Charles Dickens stares in horror and just sees one of them go into a gas lamp and that's how he knows how to solve it. Time. I, I, th- I, think, I think honestly time. Timing. Yeah. Well, also, I suppose all of this episode had to be filmed in the dark, for sort of gothic horror reasons. Yeah. Well, also, it, it's all it all takes place over one night, and that's not you know unusual. I will say the first exterior shot of Cardiff in eighteen sixty nine is lovely. Yeah, it's lovely. It is really really nice. But then you go inside that theatre, and it's just it's a <laughs> it's a very clearly just a modern theatre <laughs> with Victorian extras. Oh my god. I know that this is probably tangenting for the 17th time, but those bloody fucking extras. I don't like to swear on this podcast a lot, but that this is worth it. Those extras are abominable throughout this whole episode. Well, we can talk well, we can talk about that now because we're talking about um the monsters, which is what I had scheduled for us to do. Oh, very well done. But you know, I thought they were bad extras. Turns out they were told to be bad. And that's why also the makeup isn't particularly scary. It's because they still wanted it to be appropriate and they didn't want it to be... Oh, I see. ...too much. So the, so Are you talking about the zombie extras? No, I'm talking about... Well, I'm talking about the zombie extras at the end. Um, which Well, let's talk about oh. that first. Because the zombie extras at the end, they are told... Okay, that makes yeah. more sense, that have them having been told to be bad. Because, as you said... Because you originally, I think the original script, like, one of the ideas was they were going to have bits of flesh missing from their faces, stuff like that. It was going to be a lot more graphic, a lot more scary looking, because it's still, you know, kids. Yeah, that's true. And I suppose even if you hadn't have watched this episode, you you didn't watch this episode for years, right? No. No, I did not. Yeah. So I, I was if, too scared to. And looking back, I cannot imagine why. Yeah. But imagine, imagine if you were scared then... They think about if they had like chunks out of their faces. Yeah, no, you're you're, you're absolutely right, but I, I don't I don't know. I think they get are way scarier when they're not possessing people's bodies. 
Yeah, there's that shot of the Gelf, of the Gelf, um, I, th- I believe her name is Mrs. Peace, which is a fun fact, is the, 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 the Eve, the Eve, the first Gelf body, uh, the woman. Yeah, and she, it's not a pun, she's named after Victorian murderer, Charles Peace. Ah, Mark Gattis and history. Mark Gattis is very good at writing historic- He's a fucking nerd. He's a nerd. He's, he is very nerdy. But I like I like his nerdiness. He he does he does I'll beat him up and take his lunch money. <laughs> is that what that is that just like what happened to you and me? So we're just like that's what I imagine happens to nerds. I wouldn't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, yeah. Okay. So going going back to the extras. Yeah. The uh, that makes more sense at the at the end why they are so scary. Um, the, what do you think of the embodiment of the Galf? Um, the which one? As in the CGI blue, the blueness of them. And like what their form is when they are like actually the Gelf, not like inhabited bodies. I really like it because it ties into, simultaneously you've got the gothic horror element of them being ghosts, but you also have the devoutness of Gwyneth and they resemble angels to her. Yes, and I like also how the blue and the red of them also is like it shows that they are gas monsters as well, like it insinuates a sort of fla- yeah. a, a sort of flame, and especially a gaseous flame, and so I like that as well. Um, you were originally going to have a lot more of the um, gas monster um, in red, but they blew so much CGI on End of the World that they couldn't do as much. Mm. Well, did you hear about the so the the effects that I thought was the most CGI at all of it was 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 when the Gelf turned from blue to red. Yeah. It descends. We descend. That's it. Um, Wait, you mean it wasn't real? No, I mean it was real. This is the weird thing about that that shot. That is the only shot that was done by visual effects and not completely by CG. They had. So how did they do it? They had Zoe Thorne, who's the actress who played um, the Gelf embodiment. They had her right. in a studio screen motion grabbing her face with lots of different lights around it and and like just kept on like changing the lights and changing the the different lights and then just implanted onto her face um like they do with um video games now um all of the all of the special effects on it so that that's an actress actually doing the um girl face stuff and then and that's why you don't see as much of it with the other actors Exactly. Yes, and that's what. So that's, uh, I didn't know that's so interesting. So, so as opposed to like the the Gelf, the, the Gelf otherwise, which is just sort of like CGI'd immediately in without any basis of it, like that one shot was like completely formed by the actress. Um, it's fun what you learn on Wikipedia, isn't it? <laughs> so that brings us on to favorite moments. What was your favorite moment in the episode, The Unquiet Dead, William? Uh, the Charles Dickens coach scene. It's wonderful um there are some it is there are just some fabulous lines in it like the when when he says like oh do the bit do the death of little nail again no wait sorry drive on like all of this stuff is wonderful and the fact that it like the word fan being used throughout it and then it ends on the fan yes i know i'm your fan and just the way that simon callow says everything is amazing (laughs) like he's played charles dickens a bunch of times I, I I read that he really liked this acting as Charles Dickens in this because he, he knew that Mark Gattis got the character 
And he also said that he liked the fact that it was Charles Dickens at the end of his life. It was in a nuance yeah. that he hadn't played before when he was playing it. Well, I, I love that. Uh, what's I, mean, your I think it just makes it so much more interesting. Exactly. What's your favourite scene? Honestly, that's my favourite bit as well. What's your favourite part of that scene, though? Because because there's so many golden lines. I think talking about the American bit in Martin Chuzzlewit. <laughs> I like that as well. Because it's because it's true that that is what he that is what he did. He was writing for order and writing for serialization, and so it would be like, well, it's like a TV writer. Mm. If things aren't going the way you want it for the for the audience, you can sort of sex it up a bit. And Dickens did that in Chuzzlewit, and I like that he gets called out here. I love it. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not as familiar as Dickens with Dickens as a lot of authors. Um, but um, th- in terms of the educational aspects of Doctor Who, which are important and they, and they happen, especially in the historical ones, is that you get an idea of what the character has written. I think the main example of this is Agatha Christie in The Unicorn and the Wasp. But in this episode, Great Expectations is not mentioned. Like, uh, Tale of Two Cities is not mentioned. Yes, it is. I, is it? No, Great Expectations is mentioned. Oh, okay. Um, well, not... Like very briefly, but it is mentioned. I think... I, what, what my... Alongside Oliver Twist. Okay. What, what my point of it is, is that I, when, when the Doctor's talking about all of his classics, he talks about Little Nell um, and um, the one you just mentioned, which I cannot remember the name of because I... Martin Chuzzlewit. Yeah. And um, The Signalman, and, it, and especially on The Signalman. And I, those are books that I'm very unfamiliar with as a Charles Dickens um, a reader. I've read a couple of his work. And um, it, is that, are those unfamiliar works? Like if you knew Charles Dickens, would you know those works? If you knew Charles Dickens, you would. If you didn't, they probably aren't the ones you'd have heard of. But no, he does mention Oliver Twist and Great Expectations. Okay. And there are lots of mentions of Christmas Carol throughout. And at the end, there's a mention of Edwin Drood. Yes. Um... I think that one of my point is, is that like for the educational aspect of it, I like that the things were taken, were, the, the, the nuances that were used were from the signalman and from things like that. Because for me, it was like, oh, well, that's the best short story ever written. That sounds like I might want to read it. As opposed to like constantly harping on about great expectations and all that kind of stuff. But e- e- equally, there is... It... it... They aren't mentioning Chuzzlewit because it's the Doctor's favourite. They mention it because the Doctor has a complaint about it, which mm, I love. Yeah. And he mentions Little Nell because it actually becomes much more famous after Dickens' lifetime, partly because of Oscar Wilde. Oh, yeah. God, I completely forgot about that. And the, and the Signal Man, again, it's mentioned because... It's specifically referencing ghosts. Mm. So I don't think it's necessarily obscure Dickens for the sake of looking clever, and I'm sure there's it's Mark Gattis, it's probably an element of that. <laughs> but I think it's more what the Doctor would be talking about in those moments. Okay. That, that's a really nice way of... Because I do totally buy Chris Freckleson's Doctor as someone who loves Charles Dickens. Yeah, that's true, actually. Out of all the Doctors, I think that he would like Charles Dickens. Because there's a sense of, like... I like the the best part of Charles Dickens in this is, like, the, the real world. When he mentions, like, the real world and the great moral causes. And I feel like that's what Tennant... That's what Eccleston needs. That's what Eccleston... And, 
Well, sp- speaking of the educational aspect, I think too many people see Dickens as kind of an old-fashioned, serious writer that you're forced to read in school. But having him say quite clearly, well, I've spent my life trying to show the real world and how people are living and how people are suffering and knowing that he may have got that wrong really gets to him. Mm. I think there is something about it because to me, that's what Dickens at his best is all about. It's about showing inequality. It's about showing suffering. Yeah. Um, but also showing, but also showing hope, and it and it ends on a hopeful note. He's going off to return to his family, and the blue elementals. And he never writes it. And he never writes it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I really love that scene. But I, to be honest, overall, I think Simon Callow just steals this episode for me so yeah, much. Completely. In spite of his shitty beard. In spite it's of such sh- like it's so stuck on. It's really stuck on. It's just so it's so wispy. It feels like someone could just like rip it off at one at any one second. Well, it's it's not the wispiness. It's where it's connected to his chin. I was I for me. I I because Dickens's beard is very wispy. Mm. But it, yeah, it's not like attached at the sides. It's attached at the attached on the chin. Well, yeah, but that's how he, that's how his beard looked. That was his look. Really? I thought it was attached more around the sideburns and went sort of down. No. Oh, it was only wispy from the chin. Oh, okay. No, he, he didn't really have, a, like, sideburns, at, at least at that point in his life. This is this is the podcast episode where I learned that I know much less about Charles Dickens than I originally thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's your least favourite moment in the episode? Um, I think I've already mentioned it, but probably the scene at... The scenes in the TARDIS at the beginning are my least favourite parts of the episode. Um, really? I think everything after that is fine. I think I like... I, but it's not it's not bad necessarily but the scenes that tell us at the beginning just they just don't it just seems like it's written chemistry and not actual chemistry which is a shame because the actors have so much chemistry yeah exactly and I've seen it previously it's why, it's why I know I can expect better um, oh can I change my mind on this podcast I'm, I'm going to change my mind um, but you don't want to do the podcast anymore <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, want to do why star sex and about. next penetration or yeah, deep deep hole nine. Um, yeah, I I my least favorite scene is where the doctor says, "I've always liked a happy medium," and not the joke because I like the joke. I really find I the joke the very ch- very funny. But I don't like how Rose says, "I can't believe you just said that." I don't I don't like that response. I feel like if it was a if that scene was written a, a year later for series two. It would have been a classic tenant looks up at Rose, they sort of giggle and then and then they have to apologise and then the doctor goes, sorry. And I think that would have been funnier. What I, w- what I would say is that even though the familiarity is slightly contrived, is it is it better that it's too familiar too soon rather than her going across time and space with a man that she isn't that comfortable around? I suppose that's very true. And actually... If, if I think about it, it's almost like the bliss years before everything starts to go wrong in their relationship. Yeah, it's the honeymoon period. It's the honeymoon period. This episode is the honeymoon period. That's actually, that's, because episode two is like the second, the awkward second date that ends up going well eventually. No, I, I, I think it's, I think two and three are like one really long, de- long first date. 
Mm. And the end of number one is him asking her out. Just quick, quickly, um, I haven't much to say about Miley's favourite moment, but it's when Rose is <laughs> put in the room with the zombies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because idiots. Yeah, what were they... Was Mr. Sneed trying to kill Rose at that point? Like, what's his motivations for putting her in there? I don't know, but it's it make, the decision makes no sense. But then also she describes it as a room full of zombies, and there are two. Yeah, a room full of zombies. <laughs> and it's all relative. Because, for me, two zombies is still too, too many to be locked in with. It's not. Come on. It's not. It's not. It's not a room of zombies. I love that our, both of our least favourite moments are so pernickety. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. Here's the thing. It's not a bad episode, but the weak points are just very notable. Yeah, it, that's. I think that's exactly it. I think that, in general, I like this episode. I actually like this. I actually, remembering this episode, I like it more now I've rewatched it. Because I haven't watched this in years. No, that's interesting. Uh, do you like it less than when you first watched it? Um, no, I I like it a lot more because I can watch it. You know, I had mm. I was absolutely shut up by this episode when I first saw it, and I haven't seen it since. I love that expression, <laughs> shut up, <laughs> shut. Up. I don't know what it even means, really, but I like it. I'm sure I've not made it up, but this was the first episode that they would get letters of complaint from parents that it was too scary for their kids. And that's I in for me that's and what I like is that the BBC then said no, shouldn't be showing that shouldn't be showing it to the two younger kids then, so it's fine. Like the BBC defended Doctor Who thoroughly on that, which I which I appreciate, because back in the day yeah. they, would have, they would have said, "Doctor Who, do you think you could change your whole series arc so that this this um these these people can be fine?" Did you did you see the complaint about this episode that it was too it was um, xenophobic? It was racist. Yeah, yeah, because the Gelf were presented as I did like see immigrants that. or like an Im- immigrant um what's the word? Asylum seekers. Yes. Like like asylum seekers um, trying to invade, like that that whole thing, and I will say that I think in the original script I don't know if the Gelf were originally supposed to turn bad. I I couldn't answer that, and I think the logic behind that argument is right, but I don't think it comes across partly because none of the imagery used around the guilt outside of their narrative role is indicative of asylum seekers yeah uh, i i think that if there was more that could identify them with targets of xenophobia then that then that would be different i'm not I, i'm not convinced by it it feels like a grievance for the sake of a grievance it feels like someone's try someone's trying to read too much into this episode um wasn't this person original? Didn't this person work as a Doctor Who writer at one yes. point that made this complaint? <laughs> and a classic Doctor Who is so, is so scot free of any xenophobia, <laughs> racism, homophobia, <laughs> misogyny. misogyny, animal malpractice. Yeah, yeah. You, I'm not. I'm not having any any like stick from someone who wrote Sarah Jane to constantly fall over into ditches. <laughs> after establishing her as a really like important female journalist and then the rest of her Don Baker seasons were, were her falling over. Like, I'm not having it. I'm sorry, I'm not having it. <laughs> yeah. So, any Easter eggs you can think of? Do you know what? With this episode, I don't have that many. Do you want to go into a couple that you've, you've thought of? 
I, I, I potentially remember. Thought of or read about. Yes. Well, the biggest one, I think, is that we get another mention of Bad Wolf. Yes. From Gwen. Gwyneth. Fuck. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, nice. And I don't want to talk about that yet, but let's keep track of them. Second mention. Second mention and the first time it's said, I believe, by a cat, by a, like, it's spoken as a cat by a character. Is that right? No, it was, no, you're wrong. Okay. It was said in the last episode, the Mox of Balhoon says, this is the Bad Wolf scenario. Oh. I completely, I don't think I missed it at the time, I just completely forgot. Who can say? <laughs> That's a love. You don't see his mouth move. You don't see his mouth move when he says it. Okay. It, it's very much in the back. It's very much in the background while a lot of people are talking. But you can't. If you know it's there, you can hear it quite distinctly. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I suppose in terms of future Easter eggs, um, the rift shows up again. Yeah. Um, it's it that the rift. It this episode provides a a season arc that can create shows like Torchwood it can create um it's 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 the plot theme behind Boomtown later the season mm-hmm. um it's the start of the end of the Utopia episode in season three um it happens a, a couple of times it's mentioned this episode pop, pops up again but this episode itself I suppose is an easter egg because not many people go back to this episode but it is mentioned quite a lot in New Who it's um I don't know. It's a relative. It's a relatively important episode, but it doesn't have a great many callbacks. Partly because there's less to call back. I think with history, it's hard. It's the Easter eggs in history episodes are harder to do than the Easter eggs in fictitious science fiction future episodes. I would say. Yeah, but you can you, you can do them. But um, yeah, I'm just thinking about. I'm just thinking. Literally later in the season is the Empty Child for Doctor Dances, and that's full of Easter eggs. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm just. I had a good point, but then I forgot it. <laughs> good. Well. Yeah. Just, you know, well, um, Eve Miles, who plays Gwyneth, will go on to star in Torchwood as Gwen. Yeah. Um, which is great. How old do you think Gwyneth is meant to be in this episode? I'm thinking that she is supposed to be of a similar age to Rose, if not a bit younger. So Rose is 19 in this episode. Rose is 19, yes. I'm just going to see how old Eve Miles was at the time. It's me being very, very pernickety. But... So, she was 27 playing 19 at the time, which isn't that I think Billy Piper was 25. For some reason, I assumed she was like in her 30s in this episode because she then goes on to Torchwood very quickly. We haven't talked much, we've, we haven't talked much about Eve Miles' performance as Gwyneth. What do you think? I think it's great. I think it's great. I think I think it's great. It's not way better than Alan David as Mr. Sneed. Uh have you did you notice about Alan David as Mr. Sneed that his eyes were wet all the time? I didn't notice that, but aren't all eyes wet all the time? Have a rewatch. It looks like he's constantly like crying. Oh, no, I'm not no. I don't know this episode <laughs> enough to rewatch it. I've seen it three times this week. I'm not gonna <laughs> okay, if you ever rewatch it in the future, ever like maybe we're on season maybe we're on, when we're on season four or Boomtown yeah. or something. Um, look at his eyes; it looks like he's crying every time he says a line. But Alan David is a really good actor, but for some reason I assumed he wasn't a Welsh actor 
because his accent sounded fake. Oh, that's interesting. Um, like, he's a really accomplished actor in loads of other stuff, but I just thought he was so, like... I think I texted you when we were watching it, saying it's Gavin and St- it's Victorian Gavin and Stacey. Yeah. He do- he- I, I think Alan David is good in the role that he is playing, but not good in the role that was intended and the role that's on the script. Like... He brings a bit too much. Yeah. He's not. He's not creepy enough to be the be a, a villain archetype, and he's not nice enough to be someone to root for. He's in that in between stage, sure. and it's it's. What I find is that Eccleston. You know, he was written. There no, you go. Sorry, go on. There you go. He was written as a much younger character, and you know who's going to play him? Who? David Tennant. No way. Rusty Davis's mate, David Tennant. Ah, I always wonder about that because Rusty Davis did Casanova before the first season of Doctor Who, and I always have you seen Casanova? I have not seen Casanova. That's I before season oh, two. Watch I watch it. You it. would love it. It is so good. It is so good. Before season two, I'm going to watch Casanova. Um, I've decided that's it. that's my. It's that's only my it's only two episodes. It's only two episodes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, is it like um like Sherlock? It's like an hour and a half an hour and a half episodes. Yeah, it's they're long they're long episodes. Oh, I love it! Great. Okay, definitely we'll watch that then. That's easy to watch. I have a problem. I have a problem with like ep- seasons that are like twenty-two episodes long. I just think you have a problem. <laughs> Ding. Um, oh, another another Easter egg that we haven't mentioned is the fact that it's filmed in Wales. Yes, it is filmed in Wales, and they really wanted an episode to be set in Wales. Yes, they really wanted an episode to be set in the place that they're filming, e.g., Cardiff. It's a shame this episode, because there are no, there are not a lot of new buildings in Cardiff, was filmed in Swansea. All the interior bits were filmed in Cardiff, but yeah, the yeah the theatre was filmed in Cardiff as well. So it's filmed in Swansea and Monmouth, I think. Mm, yes, which uh, and that's so funny that they really wanted to set it in Cardiff. Fun fact: I believe that uh, the director Euros Lin is from Swansea. So he was over the moon in this episode for fi- in filming in his hometown. But you know who is from Cardiff? Uh, Rusty Davis. Possibly. <laughs> I was going to say, t- the specific place in Cardiff where the Doctor Who studios were and where Sneed's um, funeral parlour is, is also the birthplace of Terry Nation. Oh, Wow. There we go. Might have been coincidence. Probably was. Let's speak no more about it. (laughs) Let's talk about sex, baby. Oh. Sexy moments in this episode. It's... Rose is foaming at the mouth, her her mouth for the Doctor this episode. uh, At the beginning. I think she's also kind of foaming at the mouth for Gwyneth. Or Gwyneth is for her. I, I kind of got some layered lesbian subtext for Gwyneth that's not there but I liked it which calls Rose a, wi- a wild thing which she calls Rose a wild thing when she sort of goes like she sort of looks at Rose and she's like I don't know anything about that miss and about the butcher's boy it feels like it feels like an idealisation of love away from sexuality whereas when she's talking to Rose and her reactions to Rose it feels more about sexuality so I think it's potential lesbian subtext but again that's headcanon yeah and it may just be because I know Simon Callow's gay and Dickens, there's no evidence of him having been so. Mm. But a lot of his scenes with the Doctor just seems very like... Homoerotic. 
Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Did you were you were you getting that? Um yes in the coach scene. Um less so later on. I think it it part of it is just it's a very dandified Dickens. That's true, yeah. That gold vest. <laughs> well, I will say actually actually thinking about it, it reminds like the scene where the um the doctor every time the doctor and Charles um and Simon Callow argue, um Charles Dickens argue. Um, it does seem like a scene from Vicious, that like Derek Jacobi, um, Ian McKellen show. Oh my God, you're you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought. I hadn't it does. Thought. It does seems like. Oh, stop it, Queen. Like, like, like it does feel so much like that. Um, I thought of that. But also, but also, you have that bit backstage where the stage manager is saying, "Oh, you could take my wife." And yeah. Charles Dickens kind of gives him this look, which is like. I could fuck your wife. <laughs> I could fuck you and your wife. Um, what was um, what was I going to say? There's a, there's a fun little thing in terms of um, that. Let, let's talk about sex, baby, um, which potentially may be why I see so much layered um, like sex subtext. Is that when um, Gwyneth, when um, Eve Miles auditioned for the part, she had a a, a t-shirt on with two naked women um, saying like that. See, I support nudist colonies. Yes. She was like, "I'm not going to get this. I'm not going to get this job because of it." And I feel like that 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 explains the lesbian subtext between Rose and, Rose and her in that scene. I'm like, "That's it. That's that's what it was written in for." That's so funny. But speaking of um, foaming at the mouth for the doctor, I think you're absolutely right. But I think he's also kind of foaming at the mouth for her. Yeah, it's the yeah the you you look beautiful considering it's it's more wide eyed than Road Rose. I feel like Rose is more sexual, and this this episode especially, Doctor is more romantic than I've seen him in before. Rose is a very sexual being. Yeah. But, um, so is there like a weird cottaging reference at the end? Where? <laughs> where? Where they go in the sh- where they go in the shed? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, he says down, Charlie, doesn't he? It's like down, Charlie boy. He said, down, down boy. boy. He said, down boy. Is that what Charles Dickens did? They said, what, the two of you in that shed? Was Charles Dickens a serial cottager? I believe that's the that's the have... verb. To cottage. <laughs> you would know better than me. Despite the limited amount you know about Dickens, I would hazard a guess you know a great deal more about cottaging than I do. Yeah, you know Dickens, I know Dick. And on that note... <laughs> uh, what are your finishing thoughts on this episode, Will? I think this has been a great episode and nothing went wrong. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, my favourite moments of this... Ep- no, but not my favourite moments. I'm back. <laughs> I just reversed back in time. We did that! Sorry, everyone. We did, we did that, that, you that. dumb queen! We- <laughs> uh, back, back... Forward in time, not back in time. <laughs> forward in time. Wibbly wobbly, not timey wimey. Um, <laughs> I would give this... In terms of rating it out of nine, I would rate it a... Five out of nine. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a bad episode at all. I think I remember I remember it being worse than it was. Uh, and Simon Callow is a gem in it. It just, in terms of stakes, I don't think I'm that. In terms of stakes and in terms of the creation of the episode, e.g., the directing, the terrible extras, and like other stuff. Um, it doesn't fully add up to me as a great Doctor Who episode. Does but it feel a bit like fine. filler to you? It feels like a filler episode, yeah. In the same way that I think Tooth and Claw in season two feels like a filler episode. 
Could you get rid of this episode and go straight to Aliens of London and it still be as good as I remember it, Aliens of London? We haven't talked about it yet. But do we need this episode to be episode three? I think it's nice to have a historic episode as episode three. I don't think it needs to be this episode. I agree. Potentially. Or you wish... I, I wish Rose had had more to do in this episode. Yeah, so do I. I, I so do I. If, especially if we keep... If, especially if the theme of these last three episodes has been seeing the... Seeing Doctor Who through the Rose's eyes. The blossoming relationship. The blossoming relationship and seeing it through Rose's eyes. This episode sure. is... This episode more than the last two is, is seen... Actually, more through I'd say Gwyneth or the Doctor's eyes. No, it's actually seen through Charles Dickens's eyes. Take that back. It's almost like it's yeah. It's 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 an episode seen through Charles Dickens's eyes, and that's great. But it's you know, I just want I, you know, it's not what I go to school for. Yeah, I want more fizzling se- sexual tension um, between the Doctor. Yeah, and the I was disappointed on that count too. Yeah. Anyway, um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we love you all. Stay very safe if we're still in quarantine when you're listening to this. Yes, and please follow us on Twitter. We are at Doctor Hoodcast. Yes, um, and I'm sure by this point, when we've released this, that I might get an Instagram account up and running. If so, like the memes um, that we're going to do. Like them memes, bruh. Exactly. We're down with the kids. I'm not. <laughs> all right. You take care, mate. You take care. Stay safe. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Love you.